Fualcha, 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 Akarja Gale, and welcome to this week's episode of the Rebel Matters Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Anna O'Carolan, and this week's guest on the show is Fidelma O'Kane from the Sea of Our Spurrens anti gold mining campaign. The Spurren Mountains are a mountain range in County Tyrone that stretch as far as County Derry, and a company called Dalradian Gold have got a proposal in for a large scale gold mine in the Spurrens. And in this episode, Fidelma talks about the scale of the project, the campaign that they've organised to try and stop the gold mine to go ahead, and also the impact and the implications that the project will have if it does go ahead, not only in the Spurns and for the people who will be living in the immediate vicinity of the proposed gold mine, but also for other communities all across Ireland. Fidelma discusses some of the political involvement from politicians both north and south of the border that have done their best to push these plans through for this gold mine and to open up prospects for other gold mines around the the island of Ireland and also highlights some of the international solidarity that the Save Our Spurns campaign has received from zoo women from the Standing Rock Reservation in North and South Dakota to the delegation of Zapatistas from Mexico that recently visited the Save Our Sparrows campaigners. I was genuinely taken aback by the sheer scale of the proposed gold mine in the Sparrow Mountains and also at what this would mean for the rest of the island of Ireland in terms of more destructive uh, gold mines opening up all around the island of Ireland. Needless to say, it was a very eye-opening conversation and one that demands our immediate attention to do whatever we can to try and stop the gold mine from going ahead in the Sparrows and support the campaigners up there and also to try and ensure that more of these gold mines don't start popping up all over the country. Before we get stuck into the chat with Fidelma, I just want to say a massive thank you to all of the supporters of the show who are subscribed to the Rebel Matters podcast over on Patreon and especially over the last few months where I was taking a bit of a break from making the episodes. If you're interested in becoming a patron of the show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash Rebel Matters. And as has been the case with the last few episodes, you might hear a little bit of Nancy, the nearly seven month old whippet puppy that I have scurrying around in the background when I am doing the bits of recording either for the introduction and sometimes actually during the recording of the interviews themselves which were recorded over zoom and this particular one with Fidelma we recorded just before the end of 2021. So there is have it a card let's get stuck into episode 106 of the Rebel Matters podcast with Fidelma again. See, for anybody who isn't familiar with the Save Our Sparrows campaign, how would you describe it? 
Well, I would say that our campaign is to protect our water, our air, our land and our health from the toxic pollution of gold mining. And there's, there's a Canadian company called Dalradian Gold came here in 2010 and have, have been working away to uh, get in uh, favour with politicians and with the government and submitted in 2017 a planning application for a gold mine and processing plant in the Sperns, an area of outstanding natural beauty. They still have not got planning permission because there's 38,000 objections lodged against it. It's the most objected to planning application on the island of Ireland. And um, the, the the Minister for Infrastructure has announced that there will be a public inquiry into it next year before a decision will be made. So we have been studying gold mining throughout the world and we have found no good news stories about it. It's all about uh, the pollution of water and air. And that's what we need to live as clean water and fresh air. And I think people know now, particularly from the pandemic and all, how important it is, you know, to preserve our water and our air and our rural areas, you know, so for our mental health and our physical health. So I think just we're a campaign. Uh, we're made up of ordinary people who have come together uh, for the sake, it's not my generation, I'm a retired person, but it's future generations, you know, our children, our grandchildren and future generations that will be the people who will suffer because the plans for this gold mine are for 20 to 25 years. And looking at stories in other countries around gold mines, um, the pollution is everlasting. It never, it can't be cleaned up. The sulfuric acid and the heavy metals and the toxic pollution that comes out of gold mines uh, can't be cleared up. There's, I mean, I read a story in the States, at, in Nevada, the River Carson, uh, a super fund has been set up 150 years after the gold mine closed because of the pollution still emanating from that gold mine. You know, so uh, like, what is that telling us? And I just feel we have a duty to, as custodians of the earth for the time we're passing through it, to look after it. And, you know, to preserve it for the future generations and hand it on, you know, in as good a condition as we can. How did you first get involved with the campaign? I got involved. It was really my husband was was involved uh, because going back to 2014, uh, my husband had studied in the States in the 70s. And he had actually studied, uh, the, I think, for one of his dissertations, the morality of multinational companies in South America. And he sort of got to know a bit about gold mining then and, they, and in the States as well. So whenever it was really, as I say, they were working under the radar, even though they were less than 10 miles away from us at that stage. And um so he had said, you know, gold mining isn't good when he heard about them. There were, what we had heard first was they were giving out free Christmas hampers and you could call to their offices and get a free Christmas hamper. And like we would be a bit suspicious, I think. And we were going, why would people give out free Christmas hampers? You know, it seemed not not right or not. You know, you, you know the saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And uh, so we, uh, that was really probably what started us. And a neighbour then, a man, a farmer asked my husband to help him write a letter because he was wanting to uh, restore an old uh, farmhouse belonging to his grandfather, who was a stonemason. 
and he was he had been working on this project to he was hoping to get a gathering of all his clan from throughout the and um, the gold mining company had stopped him. They'd taken action, uh, illegal and no action, and they got an enforcement notice to stop him restoring and weatherproofing his family home that was 200 years old. And it, and the, no, the reason was it was too close to where they were planning an explosive store. And this this farmer had pushed my husband to write to help him write a letter about it, and he had, he was sort of he was immediately very uh, very no worried about the whole thing. But at that stage, I was a lecturer, and I was thinking, I I honestly trusted the government, and I thought our politicians. I, I was naive, and oh no, I was. But at that time, I thought they. I was saying to him, "Don't be worrying yourself." You know, the politicians will not allow this to happen. You know, they'll, you know, I thought they wouldn't allow anything that would poison us or harm the air or the water or damage our environment. Us in an area of outstanding natural beauty, our rivers specially protected, there's special areas of conservation because of the presence of freshwater parent mussels. That's Ireland's only globally endangered species. And we have salmon spawning in the river, otters, brown trout, and we're the headwaters of the River Foyle. That's an area of special scientific interest. The Foyle is well known for salmon fishing throughout the world, actually. Uh, you know, and I, I I, actually was saying to him, you know, don't you be worrying yourself because, no, this will never be allowed to go ahead if it's a da- no, danger to us, to people, to the environment, to water, to air. But, you know, I found out sadly that uh, that wasn't the case. And now, you know, I wouldn't trust, you know, the politicians because none of them were speaking out. None of our traditional main parties have spoken out against the gold mine. And in fact, in 2019, we actually stood a candidate, an independent anti-gold mining candidate. And it was the first person, first councillor elected in mid Tyrone uh, because the, the traditional parties weren't weren't taking our concerns seriously. What year was that that they were giving out the free Christmas hampers? Oh, that was way back, about 2014, <laughs> I'd say. I think it was 2014. And then was that around about the same time whenever the uh, objection went into the, your neighbour to renovate to renovate yes. house? Yes, yes, that was around that time. And then... Uh, they didn't, and at that time, like there was no planning application or anything. Oh, sorry, at that time in January 2014, yes, they got a three year per- planning permission to do an exploratory tunnel, and there were 44 conditions attached to it. And the whole, there was no environmental impact assessment because it was supposed to be short term. And one of the conditions was to restore it to the site to its original condition within the three years. That condition was never fulfilled, condition 41. And that has now been, in in the past year, the gold mining company, Dalradian, has applied for a section 54, which is to not comply with condition 41. But this is after how many years? We're now at the end of 2021. So that has been passed to another public, well, to the PAC, it's a Planning Appeals Commission to make a decision on. Again, loads of uh, objections has gone into that. So, but 
you see, our council never enforced the conditions. That's what the problem was. They never enforced the conditions. So at that stage, they got a three-year planning uh, permission for an exploratory tunnel, 1.7 kilometres. But that that really uh, was the start of it. Then and it was in November 2017 that they applied for a gold mine and processing plant at Greencastle. That's about uh, two, two miles from us here. Um, and that was um, because their initial site was too small, but their plan entails doing, extending the tunnel through the mountain. So that's why they don't want to decommission the tunnel that they had done because they need really a five-kilometre tunnel to take it through the mountain to, to this side. But to tell you the absolute truth, Anla, you know, now, and I'm not, it's not in my backyard, I am against it in Connemara. There's gold mining uh, prospecting license down in Connemara. There's in Donegal. There's in Cavan and Leitrim and Monaghan. I mean, we're, and very recently, just last Saturday, I saw there's a competition for prospecting licenses in Cork and Kerry. And people don't know about it. And we have formed an all-Ireland group just in the la- over the summertime called CAME, Communities Against the Injustice of Mining. And apparently CAME, C-A-I-M, was an old Irish word for a protective circle. So we thought we will circle the wagons and wherever it is in Ireland, you know, our island is too small. Our island is known for fishing and farming and being green and clean. And that would all be ruined if gold mining goes, you know, goes ahead. And the thing is, 28% of the 26 counties has been given out in prospecting licenses. And 25% of the six counties in the north has been given out in prospecting licenses. And the two governments, north and south, work together. They go to a global mining conference in Toronto in March every year, where there's 20 to 25,000 prospectors and mining companies from all over the world, from 136 countries. And how we know about it, we sent two people out in March 2018. Because we we live in a remote area, you know, up in the mountains in Tyrone. And like, you'd wonder how would a Canadian company know to come here? So we heard about this mining conference in Toronto and we sent two people out to pose as investors. And... What they they took videos and recordings, and Ireland had a stand. Ireland opened for business, and that that year there was a minister, um, Sean Kane, K Y N E. I mightn't be pronouncing his name right. He was the minister in the south, and he at that time there was no government in Stormont. Do you remember they were down for three years, and he spoke for the whole of Ireland that all their maps there was no border, and it was really amazing. A united Ireland, and Pointing out, because of this TELUS survey that has been done north and south, Ireland is the most mapped geological country in the world. And the Geological Survey Ireland and Geological Survey Northern Ireland were out at this conference with their maps and the whole of Ireland shown where to mine for precious metals, for other metals, you know, lead and tin and silver and cadmium and whatever. I don't know all the different things. Barite, lithium, you name it. They had the maps all up and our two spies, 
took the photos and talked to them. And Ireland, the minister did a keynote address inviting them. And just actually, I wrote out the things that they were saying um, because it was saying there were um, tax concessions. All their initial exploratory expenses would be reimbursed and their development expenses would be paid uh, up to 120%. And it was the same north and south. They spoke to a company that was in, in Monaghan. It was called Conroy Gold, who had a stall out there. And uh, they they said that Dalready and the company that's in Tyrone were, had opened the doors for other companies. And they were saying this, the tax concessions north and south were very similar and that we had relaxed environmental laws north and south. So they think this is Ireland. Yes, also, there's a Fraser Institute in Toronto that ranks companies throughout the world in their attractiveness to mining. And Ireland has been consistently in the top five in the last 20 years. What you're saying there actually paints a much bleaker picture than I had thought that we were going to be talking about. In my head, I was thinking this Canadian company picking on a small community in Toronto. Completely different. The way it's the whole country it. is at risk. The whole country is at risk. That is the absolute truth. I mean, can send you through a map of Ireland showing the five hundred and forty prospecting licenses that has been given out in the twenty six counties, and another map of the north that shows the, the ones that have been given out here the twenty five percent. But Dalridian own ten percent of the ones in the north, and then you see the problem or problem with still being ruled by by England, um, is the Queen has the rights to the precious metals, the gold and silver, and she gets a tax from them. And that's why we went to London last week to protest at the Crown Estate, because um, they, they give, op, it's called option lease agreements to the mining companies, and Dalridian got them for six years, and they expire now at the end of this month. So we went to England, to London last week, to ask the Crown Estate not to renew them because of the damage that it will do to our water and our air and our land and our health. I don't know whether it will make any difference. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the tax, the Queen is a wealthy woman and the Queen and Prince Charles have actually been speaking out about the environment and about climate change. And the 15th of October, Prince Charles did an interview with the BBC and he said it was past the time for words. It was now the time for action. So we said this is the action he can take is not to renew these licences. When's the deadline for the for the licence to be renewed? Well, they expire on the 31st of December. So I don't... 2021? You know, 2021. And you see, I read something there the other day that the Minister for the Environment in the South, Eamon Ryan, had signed the petition against the gold men in the Spurns. But is he the person who's responsible for giving out the sort of leases on the gold mines in the South? Yes, no. Yes, no. uh, You know, this last way. Before that, it was the the minister who was out in 2018, Sean KYNE. And the minister that was out in 2019 and 2020 was Sean Canney. And they were the particular ministers at the time. Like, so talk about a conflict of interest. And 
um, now in the south at Seaman Ryan. And I, 2018, I think it was September, I was I was one of a group of our people who went to the door and we met with the Green Party and Eamon Ryan, we were photo taken outside Leinster House with Eamon Ryan and he held, helped me hold up the banner, Dalridian uh, no toxic gold mining, Dalridian out of Ireland. I can I can email you the photo and all. Um, he said, and he signed our one of our objection letters. And he would be the person who would have to sign off. In the He's sense. the one that's given that now that the prospect and the competition in Cork and Kerry for for two prospect and licenses in each of those areas that I saw advertised um, last Saturday, and I can send you that as well. Why do you think it is that? You know what you were saying earlier about having the initial trust in the government that they weren't going to let it happen because of the fact that of all the different reasons that you've already spoken about there. Like, why do you think it is that when push comes to shove that these things do get to go ahead? I think it's about money that I honestly do. The company, the companies themselves and the government talk about it's you no know, economic development, it's inward investment, and it's going to create jobs. But you know, there's no mention of the environment. The economy is, it's all about the economy. But I, I honestly don't believe we will be better off economically from it because they don't talk about the jobs that will be lost in farming. We're a rural area, small far, family farms, fishing, uh, tourism. There's a, you know, small tourism industry here. And I'll tell you, recently we had a group of Zapatista women from Mexico and, um, we phoned, I'm sure, uh, 30, 40 places before we got accommodation. Every place was booked out. So it shows you, you know, there is a tourism industry here. That Who will want to come where there's a gold mine, where the water is poisoned and the air is poisoned? And, uh, you know, and the dust blown about with the heavy metals, the 2.5 particulate matter. We spoke to a biochemist in Finland called Yari Natunen, and he did a study at a gold mine there at Katila. And he told us that he found that 2.5 fine particulate matter had blown up to 60 kilometers away from the gold mine. And he said, you know, he found that the, the, this is very fine dust and he found it on trees and all. And he said children were particularly vulnerable. He says all people are vulnerable, but particularly children. And he says because it lodges in your lungs and causes respiratory diseases and cancers. And he says that 2.5 particulate matter that he found from a gold mine contained arsenic and mercury. Interesting you say that about the Zapatistas. I run a wee personal training gym in Cork here, and that we hosted them for a couple of days when they were in Cork. And oh, very good. So, um, did like I suppose that kind of is an indication of the international solidarity that you are attracting to the campaign. The fact that they were up there visiting us. Oh yes, and and even in 2018 we had a couple of Sioux women from Standing Rock came, and they're coming back next year. And uh, anyhow, the the it was really great because we were supporting you know the the people there, the indigenous people against the oil pipeline that was being forced through at Standing Rock. And we never for one minute thought that they would come you know to visit us. And it was amazing. And like it was humbling too. Like and they told us their conditions. I mean, we are so much you know in one way better off. They're so much better off and their appreciation of 
the land and the water and air and their traditions and all. We have lost a lot of our culture, you know, over, over the years because of probably Americanization and that. So around your area would have been one of the last Irish speaking areas in, in Tyrone? That's right. This area was called uh, Montreal there's Skelter Montulini, a book that's been written with the stories that were gathered here. Um, I mean, really into the 1950s, there was Irish spoken. And I do, I remember my you know, grandparents like and my mother that came from Cork, my grandmother came from Cork, and my grandfather and my aunts that were Tyrone people. And like, when grand-aunts, I suppose they were. And they, whenever they didn't want children to know what they were talking about, they would have spoken in Irish. Like, and like I, I mean, and I go to Irish class every Wednesday night. I, you know, just you know, and all, all you know, all my sons, like they have all learned Irish and gone to the Gaeltacht and Donegal, and you know, we feel it's part of our identity. And even like the fields, some of the fields have names in Irish, and a lot of the town lands have names in Irish, and you know, all that. It's it's just part of our identity. And what do you know about the specifics, like about the about the proposed mine? Like, what do you know about this, the scope of it so far? Oh, well, because the plan and application was submitted in November 2017 and there was 10,000 pages and we read the 10,000 pages. That took us a long time. But uh, it was it was shocking, actually. There was the whole um, there was the underground mine, which was up to 900 metres deep. There was a, at that stage they had applied for a cyanide processing plant. They had applied for a mercury smelting furnace, a waste rock storage area. Now this this was um, I I am a very visual person, you know, and uh, I have to see the thing in the head. But this waste rock storage area now some of the dimensions and I couldn't imagine eight hundred and ninety five meters long, three hundred and sixty five meters wide. But this bit got me fifty four meters high which is 17 stories. Like, there's not, in Tyrone and Derry, there's not a building. I think the hospital in Derry is about 10 stories. And there's no hotel in Derry, there's eight stories. But I can't imagine a 17-story high waste rock dump. And this is the waste rock that will be taken out of the mine and crushed, according to their plan and application, to the fine consistency of sand. Now, that rock contains sulfides, and when that is exposed to air and water, which is going to happen because it'll be taken out into the air and the rain will fall on it, uh, it produces sulfuric acid. And another name for sulfuric acid is acid mine drainage. And once that process starts, it can't be stopped. That's the problem, and it was mentioned in the, the River Carson in Nevada, the acid mine drainage. And when that runs over the rest of the crushed rock, it strips out heavy metals like arsenic and mercury and lead and cadmium and chromium and you name it, a host of heavy metals. And because whenever the rock is taken out, out of the mine, you know, they have to use explosives underground and that, you know, explosives is also a contaminant, you know, as well. And when that's taken out um, and crushed, the rock is crushed because they have now, their initial plan was to float it in a solution of cyanide, and that apparently takes out the rock, the, the gold bits. The, the gold comes like in particles or in veins, 
no small like it's, it doesn't you know in your mind you think of films and you think of big gold nuggets but it doesn't come like that so it comes in wee veins or wee threads or wee you no know, particles so the cyanide apparently a strong solution of sodium cyanide helps um you know separate it from the rock the rest of the rock but unfortunately that is very poisonous Although, according to Mr. Anderson, the chief executive of Dalradian, he said on the radio one time that it was cyanide was no more poisonous than a handful of almonds. But my husband challenged him that if he would take this teaspoon of cyanide, my husband would eat a handful of almonds and would see who'd come off the worst. But Mr. Anderson didn't uh, accept the challenge. So there, but in twenty, okay. So that was the initial um, plan and application in November twenty seventeen. Oh, sorry, there was also tailings ponds. There was three tailings ponds that contain one hundred and forty two million liters of no poisoned water, contaminated water. There was a wastewater treatment plant that would try and cleanse some of the water through a treatment plant, an electricity substation because they need enough water. Or they need enough electricity that would use that normally 1400 homes would use in a year. That's how much electricity they need. And we would have blackouts up here. So I don't know where they're going to get the electricity from. They talked about a new explosive store because they were intending to use explosives twice a day, every day of the year for 20 years. That's in their plan application. And then they talked about having fueling and maintenance facilities. And we thought, oh, that sounded like a garage. That shouldn't be too bad until we read they had applied at that stage to use 4.3 million litres of diesel per year. Now, in 2019, they said they had reduced their fuel consumption by 25%. So we looked at their new planning addendum and they said they're only going to use 3.3 million litres of diesel per year, every year for 20 years at least. I read it, somewhere that they, was it, is it right to say that they've sort of promoted the plan that they have as being carbon neutral? Yes, that is exactly true. They have said they're going to be carbon neutral mine. And I mean, in their plan, since 2017, they've put in a 15,000 page addendum in 2019, a 20,000 page addendum in 2020, and they have put in for discharge consent to put 24 heavy metals into the river. Uh, they have also applied for water abstraction licenses to abstract half a million gallons of water per day, every day of the year for 20 years from the peatland that surrounds their site. And on top of that, for their infrastructure on site, they want to remove 74 hectares of peatland for um you know for their for their site for building their sheds and things. So like peatland that is the most effective carbon store and we're told now we need to be preserving peatland. But no, I mean if they were abstracting no two hundred half a million, half a million gallons of water from the peatland surrounding their site, sure all our rivers will run dry because you know, and I mean it'll be all dried up. And all that carbon will be released into there. And, and the fumes from, you know, 3.3 million litres of diesel per year, the fumes that will poison the children, they're talking about their site, 1,200 
1,200 metres from a primary school in a village. What kind of size is the site supposed to be? Oh, the site, I I think their site, now I wouldn't have the exact measurements, but it might be, hmm, I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing, but it might be 900 900 acres. Would that be right? 900 acres. I can I can actually double check it and send it to you because I get mixed up in these measurements a bit sometimes because going between some of them are in hectares and some of them are in acres. And that's a bit, that can be a bit confusing. Dalradian and the same, they do that with in their planning application. They put cubic um cubic meters of water because that is a lot less than putting it into gallons. And I was reared in the days of gallons, so I'd be translating it. And, I mean, that half a million uh, gallons of water that they're going to abstract from the from the peatlands around their site every day, um, you know, that when it was in cubic metres, it didn't sound as bad. But whenever it's put in gallons, half a million gallons of water. I was going to ask you about that as well. Is that u- usual as far as you know to have such massive like additions into the 20,000 pages here and another 15,000 pages? Is that the, the way the planning applications normally go? No, 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 no. Normally you put in your planning application and you get a decision on it. You're not allowed to go back and revisit it and revisit it. Stick an extra 20,000 pages into it. <laughs> I 15,000 and 20,000. 20, the, first, the first one we thought it was bigger, 10,000. But then the second, the... They called it the first addendum in 2019 and then the second addendum. And the problem is, it's because we have been putting in objections and then um, they, then they're putting in to answer the objections. And government departments, some of the departments are doing responses. And I think, uh, you know, I would say too, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, I, like, I don't think they set out to be bad. I mean, I do... I am still, you know, there's got to be good people. Not everybody is bad. I think people are, you know, and I think maybe it's because the whole economic thing is growth and, you know, it's not about the well-being of people, you know, as, you know, say the Prime Minister of New Zealand is trying to talk about and some of those, and and is it Sweden and even the woman in Scotland? But you notice that those three countries are ruled by women. And they're thinking of the well-being of the people. But here, it's all about, you know, economic development and the economy and growth, going for growth. The strategy here is talked about. But your growth has to be finite. I mean, whenever you take all the gold out and you take out all the precious metals out of the country, that it's they're gone forever. That's it. And they're stored in bank vaults of the world. And we are told that there's enough gold to meet technological needs for the next three to 500 years. So there was a professor on and he said 500 and I read somewhere else a minimum of 300. So surely within that time span, they'll have come up with, you know, plenty of recycling or some other metals that they can use. But I mean, if most, the majority of gold is put in bank vaults of, you know, so that's of no good as of no good to the people so why is it that they need to say they need the gold is it just to sell it's um it's a for investment purposes apparently gold is you know a great thing to invest in and these their um shareholders and investors you know would get good return on their money supposedly so like I they get a bar of gold and somebody buys it today for 
a thousand quid or something, and then in a couple of years' time, it's going to be worth five thousand quid. Is that? Oh, why? Apparently, but it can go down as well. It can go down, and uh, you know, so that's the thing. It's not. Uh, there have been trends, like, and we've been looking at that. It can go down. And so as well. The Dalrian made any promises in terms of the, like employment or development in the area to to like the area surrounding where they're proposing to put the plant. Oh, they said that they will be providing well-paid jobs, £40,000 salaries uh, on these well-paid jobs. And they have all kinds of jobs from direct employment and indirect employment and and induced, is it, or inferred. They have imaginary jobs. Like, for example, if one of their workers uh, buys a sandwich in a local shop, that's creating a job. So they have, uh, you know, the the jobs, they started off, uh, I mean, and it's very interesting because I keep the newspaper reports and they started off, there was going to be 50 jobs and now there must be nearly a thousand jobs. <laughs> and again, we've been speaking to people in other countries who've told us what's normal for gold mines, you know, and it wouldn't be anything like, you know, it might be one to, one to 300, but certainly not like anything the size going on, the size of what's here, et cetera, et cetera. And also we've been told by groups in other countries that the fly, that, because it's a gold mining isn't a tradition here, there's no gold mine in Ireland. So there's no gold miners already sitting here waiting for work. And apparently it takes at least five years to train a gold miner. So they fly them in from other countries. They fly them in and fly them out. And apparently they like that, that they have them on site and that uh, they provide all their entertainment on site um, and that um, they don't like them mixing with the locals because then news would get out if there were any accidents or incidents, et cetera, et cetera. So apparently they fly them in and fly them out. That's what happens in all the other countries that there's gold mining. So why would it be any different here? You know, so uh, people, uh, you know, are fooling themselves thinking about, you know, getting jobs, well-paid jobs. How are you managing to get through all of the reading from the planning material and keep up to date with what's happening with it? And then also seems like you're making connections with uh, other campaigns around the country and further afield. Well, I suppose like we've been, Save Our Sparings was formed in June 2015. Now, I say my husband from about 2014 um, he he was really you know like involved involved interested reading up writing letters and stuff and a small group prior to us formally setting up Save Our Spirits in June 2015 and I suppose um, we have we just devote all our time to it we're we're both retired and a, a number of other people are doing the same and then people are doing it on a part time basis and we have no mothers that who are at home minding their children, who help out. And, I mean, we have a we have a 7,500 followers on Save Our Sparing's Facebook page. And uh, there's about 10 other groups have set up across the Sparing's. We did, what we did first was we studied it ourselves. We wanted to have the information because you can't talk about something if you don't know and have the information. So we studied it and studied it and picked up as much information as we could. Then we produced leaflets. Then we held information meetings throughout the Sparrows across Tyrone and Derry. And then we've been invited. We have done meetings in Donegal because they've been under threat. We have done them down in in Connemara. We have done ones in Cavan and Monaghan and Leitrim and South Armagh and Antrim. Uh, You know, so we have done uh, public meetings uh, throughout anywhere that asks us 
you know, we've gone and given them our information and we share the same as what other countries have shared with us. We share with people in Ireland. And then um, we st- whenever that first planning application was submitted in November 2017, it took us a couple of months to get it read and to, you know, devise the objections, pick out the points and that. So then we started doing a sample objections because you can't expect other people to read 10,000 pages. And we would have made out a sample objections. And then we started uh, issuing them at the public meetings, asking people if they wanted to take them. Anyone, any age, anywhere can sign an objection. So we got them out like that. And then, um, you know, we got more into social media and uh, Facebook. I mean, it's all new to me, but uh, now, you know, but it's, it's, I mean, been a great learning experience. And um, then linking in, it's over the COVID period, Zoom. I mean, I didn't know about Zoom before, but now I can Zoom away. And uh, it is it is really, it's amazing, you know. And we have got contacts now in uh, Colombia, Peru, Mexico, Honduras, um, uh, up in the North America. We've got Michigan. We've got the Sioux people. We have got, um, where else have we got? Uh, we have got, uh, Hon- no, going over now, Papua New Guinea. New Zealand, Australia, um, the Philippines, and in Europe we've got we've got some uh, South Africa. We have got um, uh, Finland, Sweden, uh, Spain, and Romania. So it's it's been amazing, amazing, and like I can't believe we know all these people now. And you know we would be on Zoom to them at all hours of the day and night because of the time differences. So. Life is, I mean, I thought when I'd retire, I would be sitting, reading books and going on wee holidays. I didn't think I would be doing this. Does it cause you a lot of anxiety or worry that the fact that it might go ahead? It does. You know, I try to, I mean, I do believe, I'm a, maybe I'm an optimist, but I believe we will be successful in stopping it. And I think um, when you think, when you believe what you're doing is right, it gives you the, you know, the strength and all to continue. And I think that we're greatly um, heartened and encouraged by all the solidarity we've got from groups throughout the world and by groups in Ireland, people in Ireland, and by all. I mean, to think that we have 38,000 objections. When we started the first time, we aimed for, te- we thought there's 10,000 pages in the planning application. And we thought if we could get 10,000 objections. And we actually pretended at the beginning our aim was 5,000 because we were afraid we wouldn't get to 10,000. And we got to the 5,000 and then we went for the 10,000. And then we increased it by 5,000 each time. And at the moment, our aim is the 40,000. And when we get the 40,000, which we will, I have no doubt, we will then move on 45 and then 50,000. And objections can keep going in until a decision is made. So we still, you know, I don't imagine that the public inquiry will be held anytime soon because the the commissioners who will be in charge of it has have all that documentation to read. They have all the objections to read and everything. So they are going to be reading for the next year, I would say. How do you fund the campaign, the likes of the trip you did to Westminster there recently? We each there were twelve of us went. And each person paid for their own. We got cheap flights. I think they were about £69. We got cheap hotel. It was 49 And 
we just paid for, you know, we just paid for our own, um, you know, on the tube and all that. Uh, we we just did that. We, you know, I think that is the the beauty of it is that when you're, you know, committed and convinced that you will, and we did, you know, the 12 people who went all paid for themselves. And that, you know, that is that I didn't count it up, but I suppose we haven't got the visa bill yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, I mean, I'm in the fortunate position of being retired and I do have a teacher's pension. So, you know, I am, I'm lucky, but there are, most people aren't as lucky. But people who, I mean, there were people who, went who, who wouldn't be in that fortunate position. We would help each other out as well, you know, and we share and share alike. So that's important, you know, when people are given their time and effort to it. And have you had much, have you had much direct engagement with the people from Dalradian? No, we haven't, except abuse. <laughs> In what way? No, um, well, I mean, recent, the last few years, they have tr- been, uh, well, okay, I felt uh, from we started uh, and grow and save our sperms, um, I felt Dalridian were really bad mouthing us and saying, first of all, that we were lazy people and we didn't work. Well, we, you know, and that was probably aimed at us because we're retired, but I did work for 38 years. And I think I did make a positive contribution to to life, etc. So now you know it's I'm working on a different. It's voluntary. <laughs> so um, you know they tried to paint a picture about us. Uh, they said you know different negative things about us. We were tree huggers. Well, I mean, I mean, I am. I I would say I'm not a real true environmentalist. I do my bit, I recycle, and I would be care- I'm careful, you know, about plastics and stuff like that, you know, single-use plastics. But, I mean, you know, I'm not out-and-out, you know, environmentalist. But, I, I mean, as, this is basic water and air. If you're water, you need water, and you need clean water, and you need clean air. And if they're poisoned, shoot, that's your health. And we don't need gold. It's, it's to me, it's a very simple matter. You know, it's black and white. But um, so then, over the last couple of years, since twenty nineteen, um, I and again, we were told this by a man in Cuba who wrote a book about it. The strategies gold mining companies use throughout the world and the attempt to criminalize the protesters. Now we would say we're defenders of the water and the air. We're the protectors. Um, they try to paint us in a bad picture. And there, I mean, there's been a man up in court charged with cutting two cable ties, two cable ties that you could buy for 12 pence, uh, you know, and dragged through the courts. My husband's up um, next week. He's up for being charged with suspected of da- damaging Dalridian's property. And he didn't do it. He didn't, you know, like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. But that is... It's tying us up now with, you know, there's another man up for aggravated trespass. He chained himself to the gates of Dalridian's premises. But Dalridian's prospecting license expired for the site in 2019 and it hasn't been renewed. And that condition 41 was to decommission and restore the site. And that hasn't been done. So they shouldn't be there. That gate shouldn't have been there that the man chained himself to. So who... Who is the bigger aggressor or, you know, so there's noise. And I mean, I have been phoned by the police and told that I need to be careful or I could be done for harassment. And I 
I was shocked. I said, excuse me, what are you talking about? Because I stopped and I saw people, three people acting suspiciously at the river. And I stopped and I said, excuse me. I said, who are you and what are you doing? And one girl said they were from Dalridian. And she said she couldn't tell me what they were doing. Now, I just said, I kept repeating, no, no, what, you know, you don't have planner permission. Your, you sh- your prospect and license expired in December 2019. So you should not be there. And she's, so they, the police, they must have told the police I was harassing them. The police phoned me and said, if I did it again, I could be taken for harassment. I said, what were they doing? I said, they, I said, they were acting suspiciously. And all I did was ask them who they were and what they were doing. And I, I also said, oh, I, they felt intimidated. He said, well, I'm actually quite a petite person. And I mean, a w- woman in my 60s. They, there were two, there was a man and woman, big, big build, big, strong, you know, six foot people, big build. And the other girl was probably in her 30s. And um, there were the three of them were much bigger than me and stronger. Now, as if I could intimidate them by asking who they were and what they were doing. It sounds really uh, similar to some of the tactics that Shell were using up in yes. around Rossport about like making it out, demonizing the local people and making it <laughs> like that they were sort of just agents. And then also uh, what sounds kind of similar is the fact when I was reading through the the book that the Rossport Five put out, uh, they were saying like that the Shell were making things to be really complicated so to try and put people off from reading up on it and be, reducing their ability to kind of respond to things as well. That is that is true. The language that's used and all that, you know, the chemical stuff and all that, pardon me. But, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you keep it simple and think of your water and your air, clean water, fresh air, that's, I mean, you know, they can talk about that they're going to discharge arsenic and mercury and lead and cadmium and chromium and zinc and copper and nickel and whatever into the water. And 24, there's 24 metals and uh, sulfuric acid. Uh, a sulfuric acid, like, sure, I mean, anyone would know they couldn't be good for you. Sure, you anyone would know that. You don't have to be a scientist to know what will poison you. And because of climate change, people know that the peatland is a carbon store and they know that that's important. And the government, the British government's talking about doing away with um, diesel cars in 2013, or, you know, they'll not be produced anymore because of the fumes that, you know, come from the nitrous oxides and all that. So if they're going to use 3.3 million litres of diesel per year on site, and that's not talking about the traffic going to their site, or in 2019, they said that they would actually maybe not use the cyanide here, that they would export the ore abroad to for the cyanidation process. Now, that, first of all, we don't believe them because their feasibility study says it will only be financially feasible if it's uh, treated here if the cyanide as cyanide process is done here so and they haven't changed their feasibility study and they haven't removed the processing plant from their planning application so we fear that if they got planning permission for the gold mine then they'll come back then and say oh we can't go ahead without the cyanide here so uh, that but even if they were to take it abroad 
why should our poison be put to another country and most likely some poor country that mightn't have the means to oppose it or mightn't have the regulation or mightn't have, you know, the means at their disposal. So I, I feel strongly, I feel morally, it would be morally wrong to do it, to send it to another country as, as well. So, uh, you know, I I, I, th- I still feel that Daridian are sitting on the fence on that one. Just listening to you talking there, kind of comes to mind that another thing that is commonly used to try and justify projects like this is that the companies that are putting in for these projects make it out like as if the place that they're planning to do it is just barren land that hasn't got anything on it that's just there kind of to be used because there's nothing else happening on it. But what, like what, how would you describe the area and like that the that this is proposed to go into? Oh, and like you're right. If it had been barren land that and not no habitation and no rivers within, you know, uh, within a huge, huge distance, maybe that would be. You know, if you were out in the wilds of Australia, maybe where there's nobody for hundreds of miles, but certainly not in a small island like Ireland. But already in the site they have now chosen for their planning application is 1,200 metres from the primary school and from the small rural village of Greencastle. It's 500 metres from the chapel, from the community centre, from the football field, playing fields. Um, It's unbelievable. It's the two main rivers that they're going to be discharging into if they get their planning permission. The Own Kalew and the Own Ray, both are special areas of conservation and areas of special scientific interest because of the presence of freshwater pearl mussels, otters, salmon spawning and brown trout. And they're the headwaters of the River Foyle, that's an area of special scientific interest. There's Dunmullen Woods nearby, that's an area of a special a scenario for a special scientific interest because of sessile oak trees. There's over a hundred archaeological sites around the area: standing stones, oakum stones, court graves, cairns, all those uh, old uh, remnants of previous civilization here in the area. Huge number within a eight mile radius. There's easily over a hundred. Um, there's the Black Bog, it's the biggest area of raised bog in Europe, and it's got special flora and fauna. There's so many things in the area that, you know, apart from people's habitations, and if you can think of that waste rock dump, the 17 stories high on top of Crockenboy Hill above the village of Greencastle, it would remain, now you're too young, Anna, but I, I remember, and like in the 60s, I mean, I think I was at the primary school, but I remember that the, uh, the, the thing happened in Wales, the disaster at Aberfan, and it, the coal tip, the slag heap, uh, because of heavy rain, moved down the, and killed all the children in the primary school. And I remember, you know, being really afraid, you know, at the time. But I remember our parents telling us there was no, no coal mining. And, you know, it was coal. It was a coal mine at the time. But there was well over 100 people killed in Aberfarm disaster. And that was in the 60s. And, um, you know, it, this will be this. And we have compared it to it. And this is actually higher and it contains a lot more weight with a heavier rainfall than Aberfarm. So the disaster, I mean, 
if that's slaves, and they're talking about that waste dump, that there will be um, some sort of barrier underneath it to stop the toxic things going into the water table, but that over time there could be leaks and leakages with wear and tear and with bad workmanship, etc., etc. And um, so those heavy metals will leak and leach into the water table and, as I say, will blow about in the air. We're on an exposed area in the Spearn Mountains. It's shocking. So um, it's the last place you would pick you know, because of being situated in the heart of an area of outstanding natural beauty and all those special designations. And, you know, you would never, as I say, if you had a barren desert that there was nothing growing in and there was no human habitation within hundreds of miles, maybe you would consider that, but not not here. And I would say not anywhere in Ireland because we're a populated, no, rural an area and we're known for our nice green clean you know air and land do you think you have had some victories along the way so far in the campaign we've had um we've had some victories along the way i think it's been a massive victory to get thirty eight thousand objections to know that there's at least 10 anti-mining uh, anti-mining groups across the Spearns and now that there's uh, a group, an All-Ireland group, and there's groups in Donegal uh, up in Inishon against gold mining and Save the Hills of Donegal and um, there's Stad on Scris in Donegal and there's Cavan Anti-Mining Network and Le- Le- oh, there's so many without me going into them all and down Save Valley, Connelly, Bog and Roundstone down in Connemara. So there's loads of groups you know, forming throughout Ireland to protect protect uh, their water and their land and their air and their health. And that's a great achievement. Getting um, a councillor, an anti-gold, an independent anti-gold mining councillor elected in 2019 was uh, was really uh, you know, a great achievement because um, we didn't, we didn't, <laughs> six weeks we were out day and night uh, working on it. And we couldn't believe that he was the first councillor elected in Midtron. And it has shone a light on the council. And it's great. It has been great, a great victory for us. Um, what else? I had a, I took it um, a judicial review and I took it in December 2017 because Dalridian were granted a discharge consent to put nine heavy metals into the Oonkilu River. It went, I went as a personal litigant. It, it ran for 23 months. And after about a year, I got a legal team because I was so stressed over it. I was trying to retain so much knowledge in my head and it was affecting me sleep. So I, I got a legal team at that stage. And it went on then to November 2019. And at that stage, both um, the Department, Northern Ireland Environment Agency and Alradian conceded and uh, the, it was, the discharge consent was squashed. But now they've come back with a bigger a bigger one now, applied for 24 metals now. No decision has been made. It's going to the public inquiry. But it was, it was um, I suppose, a cent, it was an achievement and taken taken on Northern Ireland Environment Agency and Dan Radian. And at the beginning, the first year when I was doing it myself, they were up there with barristers and solicitors. And I was up there myself. And I honestly got the strength from outside myself, you know, to do it. And it was really, um, and also I felt it was given example to others that, you know, you can do it. 
you know, and I think that's important because I think young people sometimes, you know, stand back and think, oh, no, you know, I couldn't do that. But I think and I think as a female, it was important to to tell, you know, other women, you can do this, you know. And I suppose I always go back to a saying of John F. Kennedy, and this one person can make a difference and everyone should try. And I think that that's, you know, that gives me a lot of encouragement, you know. And you know the way we said earlier that this is going to be the first gold mine in Ireland. This is going to be the first gold mine in Ireland. So is it potentially going to be have a domino effect if this one goes ahead? It's yes, if this one goes ahead. If this one goes ahead, this will. Um, this, I mean, there's applications in all these other places, and I mean that's what Conroy Gold told our two spies in March 2018 in Toronto that Dalridian was opening the door and that Dalridian had invited them in, you know, as well. So if people are listening to this now, like what, what would you like them to do to help the campaign? Well, I, I always say to people, you don't have to take my word for it. Um, you know, look it up for yourself. Research Google, gold mining and water, gold mining and health, gold mining and land, gold mining and air. Look at the effects for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. I have nothing to gain by you no know, going out there and talking about it and doing it. In fact, uh, you know, it caused myself enough stress over it. But um, I would say that to people. And if there's a group in your area, you know, join it or else think of starting a group to defend your area if there's a prospect and license advertised for your area and it's important that you keep an eye on geological survey ireland and geological survey northern ireland because they're they're working together to push this they have got all the geology details from the TELUS survey and they're giving them out free to mining companies and inviting them in here and supported our governments are giving them the incentives. So what you can do to help us in our campaign, I would say go and save our Sperns Facebook page, save our Sperns, or email us, save our Sperns at outlook.com. And we have sample objection letters and you can submit one. Anyone, any age, anywhere in the world can submit an objection. So it's important because people sometimes say, oh, sure, you know, I'm not from Tyrone. And we say you could be a visitor in Tyrone. You could be, a, you know, you could have relatives in Tyrone. And, you know, what's happening in Tyrone could be happening in your area next that's important whenever you see a, a competition for prospect licenses in cork and Kerry, like two beautiful counties as well that you wouldn't think that there would be a possibility of prospecting in those last saturday the competition opened for prospecting licenses there so that's inviting mining companies to come in and you know, make a bid for it and they get incentives you know, so like it's it's shocking. It is hard to believe, but I'm not telling you like I'm not telling you a lie. Like it's absolute truth. It is. I mean, going back to 2014, I didn't believe this was possible. But you know, and, and now you know it's. So that's why I I think that you know I think here the political parties are very silent on it, and a lot of them are sitting on the fence. And some of them say, we share your concerns about the environment. But on the other hand, it'll be good for the economy. But 
And, um, you know, we do feel the fact that none of them put it up in their Facebook pages. None of them share our, um, you know, objection letters. And I feel that, you know, they are the ones that should be out there doing what we're doing. They're the ones that should be out talking about it and saying to they get thousands of votes. They should be saying to the people if you want to protect your water and your air and your land and your health and for that of future generations, you should be you know, up in arms and signing objections and marching on the street. And like we do pickets and anywhere Dalradian goes or if they're, you know, they're, they're great at sponsoring and they give out money. They have a fund called the Dalradian Fund and anyone can apply for money. You don't have to be an organisation or a group. The sponsor clubs and community groups and individuals and everything twice in the year January and June you can apply to Dalradian you think I'm doing an ad for them but if you do you have to sign up that you will allow yourself to be used in publicity purposes for Dalradian and you will not say or do anything against Dalradian so when they poison your children and your grandchildren and your cows and your sheep you will be able to speak out because you have taken the soup and like you should, as Irish people, we know we know about these things. Look at our history. We should we know we know about these things. You know, I mean, like when we were over in over in London last week, we picketed a mining conference. It was called Mines and Money. Okay, so we were picketing outside, and some of the engineers came out to talk to us. And one man said to us, "What would you take to go away?" What, what could Dalradian give you to make you go away? And I said, oh, no, no nothing. Uh, and I says, we won't go away. And he said, um, look, if Dalradian give each of you, many of you here, and there were 12 of us, he said, if Dalradian give each of you £20,000, he said, would that, st- would that stop you? I said, if they give us £20 million, I said, we wouldn't stop. I said, like, we can't be bought. That is the bottom line. They don't understand the affinity that people here have with the land and with their children and with the, you know, they don't understand that. They think, you know, give us some money and we'll go away. And they actually, at one of the consultations, they told us they could um, move us, relocate us. And we said, "We, we don't want to go anywhere. Our families have been here for generations. This is where we we want our children to be able to grow up here if they want to, if they choose to no, live here. We want them to have that option. But if the if the water and the land and the air is poisoned, they won't be able to stay here. But they don't understand, they can't understand that. To them, money is their God. I genuinely I can't I can't believe as I was saying earlier, like it's a completely different thing that I thought we were going to be ended up talking about something more regional that was going to be just uh, the sperms yeah exactly now you know it's now you know it's all ireland all ireland ireland in fact i was uh, ireland open for business ireland that was the strap line across the ireland's uh you know stall ireland open for business and just a little just this last week thing um we met, whenever our two people were out in Toronto, they made links with the you know, anti-mining groups out there and did a few interviews and stuff. But we've kept the contact 
And um, the next year, 2019, well, because it cost us like a couple of thousand pounds to send two people out, um, we didn't send anyone out since. But the the anti-Main Watch Canada uh, said, do you want to send a message and you know, to the conference in 2019? So we did a um, we did a big banner, big 8x4, uh, Ireland says no to mining. And we sent the big photo, you know, big. We were a couple of us holding this big banner. Ireland uh, says no to mining, and we sent that out. So they they got it printed, and they took it into the conference in 2019. And that's yes. where Sean Canny, um, uh, and I think those two ministers were from Connemara, and uh, I know the one that was out in 2018. He was an Irish speaker. He was from Sean Kane because one of our people had studied at um, had studied Irish at uh, Galway University, and she was an Irish uh, Gilgore, and she um, she spoke to him in Irish because he was wearing a thanya. And you know, if, if people are going up to like go for walks and stuff around the Spurns, is there do you have like somewhere that people can call into to get a bit of information? Oh yes, we have. Surely we have the Greencastle People's Office, which is a caravan. Or in fact, there's now three caravans on the proposed site, part of the proposed site. So that's since the third of February, twenty eighteen, uh, a caravan mysteriously appeared on the site, and it was dubbed uh, the GPO Greencastle, with obviously thinking of Irish history, but uh, Greencastle People's Office and. That's a, set, a focal point for the campaign. And there's a blog, Greencastle People's Office. It's a daily blog. And it's been written every day since the 3rd of February 2018. And um, so now since COVID, it used to be manned all the time. And then we did get uh, some damage done, a broken window. And we got we have a playground at it. And there was glass broken and thrown over the playground. So um, since that, we, we only would have had people during the day manning it. And then since COVID, uh, we, it's really more by appointment. So if you send a message to either Greencastle People's Office or to Save Our Spares, um, that you would like to come, uh, you know, uh, we'll always arrange for people to be there. 